If the rest of us can be turning to 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, now the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I've purified these waters. There shall be, not be from there death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of the Lord, of Elijah, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up, by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! And when he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 of the lads of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. Now you know how to deal with teenage children. (laughs) We'll deal with that in a moment. I want to, to actually look at these two, pas- these two passages separately, but I'll bring it all together towards the end. But these are the two opening incidents, if you like, of the, the ministry of Elisha. One involves purification of a river, and from there the land, and the second involves cursing. Let's look at the first of those two incidents, first of all. In verse 19, it says, And the men of the city, which city? Jericho. You'll find that in the previous verse. Elisha is in Jericho. He's sitting there in this place, resting. You'll remember from our previous series that we did going into the land that Jericho is the lowest inhabited city in the world. It's lower than any other city. And it was known as the city of palm trees because it was surrounded by springs, making it very fertile. And it's also believed to be the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. According to archaeologists, it's been inhabited for 9,000 years. The name Jericho means fragrant, which says something about the plant life around this city. It was a city full of palm trees, full of beautiful springs, full of lovely plants. It was a city that was like a holiday resort. And here we see Elisha taking a relaxing break, having taken up this mantle from Elijah. He's in a small apartment. The palm trees are all around. He can swim in the Jordan whenever he wants. And the men of the city come and tell him that it's not as it all appears on the surface. Something has happened to the waters that fed this city. Even though it still looks beautiful, it's become stagnant. It's no longer fragrant and fruitful. It's become stale and barren. We don't know why. Perhaps something was leaching into the waters further up the Jordan Valley. Or perhaps the drought that had been going on during Elijah's time had caused a stagnancy to come upon the waters. There was not the same flow into them and out. That kept, that kept them cleansed. But either way, Elisha is confronted with this situation 
where things are not, are not as they should be. There is death, there is decay, where once there was fruit and fragrance. It's a decaying situation. So what's his response? He gets a new jar, and he puts salt in it, and he goes out to the waters, and he pours the salt into the waters. And he speaks over them. Now, do you think that salt made one iota of difference to that water? It wouldn't, if it was the salt that was the problem, it would need a heck of a lot of salt to, to cleanse it, not just one jarful. The salt made no difference whatsoever. If the waters needed more salt, then it would needed a heck of a lot more salt. But this was a symbolic act on Elisha's part. You see, salt in scripture speaks of three things. It speaks of preservative, it speaks of flavoring, and it also speaks of cleansing. And I believe it's primarily in that third um, element that Elisha is using it as a symbolic act to cleanse the water so that the city might be restored again. It was a ritual act of purification of the waters in order to restore the land to fruitfulness. And it was combined, as he poured the salt into the water, he spoke blessing over the water. He spoke the word of the Lord that brought blessing back where there had been death and decay. And it brought lasting change to the land. You see, the words we speak over our situation or over people can have a lasting effect. They change the circumstances and bring fruitfulness to the barren land. There's been a lot this morning in the worship about victory and about knowing the truth, and especially in what Peter shared, that Jesus is greater than our circumstances. The way we speak about our circumstances, the way we speak about things that affect us, can have an influence. If we speak positive things, it's not the power of positive thinking, but the positive truth, the blessing, the speaking of blessing over circumstances, can change the circumstances. In the same way, speaking negatively over circumstances keeps us in that place of barrenness and unfruitfulness and decay and death. The way we use this tongue is crucial. See, our words can change situations. Our land has become stale and stagnant. And whilst it remains beautiful and for the most part good, there is a rottenness in the hearts of many people here. And if we want to see this land restored to an oasis, we need to speak blessing over the land through our prayers and through the prophetic word. That's why it's important to keep our prayers up for this land until we see God bring, God bring blessing here and see this land as a place that once again honors God. When you think about what's going on, don't say, oh, it's awful, it's terrible, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's just such a dreadful place. Say, God is greater. God is able to restore. God is able to overcome. God is able to take that which is barren and that which is, which is um, decaying and able to restore it and bring life where there is death. 
God can change circumstances through the power of our words. We can speak truth and truth will set captives free. We can be like Elisha in bringing that which was decaying and dying back to life. So how about the boys and the bears? In some ways, this is quite a funny incident, isn't it? (laughs) Elisha is baited by these boys for having a bald head. In response to his baiting, he curses them, and two bears come out and attack them. Doesn't Elisha come across as a cantankerous old man who can't take a joke and is a bit sensitive about being follically challenged? Is this how we should read this? Well, not wishing to justify Elisha's actions here. He was the subject of dishonor by a large bunch of boys. And it was a large bunch. If you read, 42 of them got ripped to pieces by the bears. So they were quite a big gathering. If you've been in a big gathering of teenagers, it can be a little bit intimidating, particularly if they're baiting you. I love being with teenagers. But when there's a big crowd who aren't necessarily on your side, it can be not quite so comfortable. And this is the situation Elisha finds himself in. But the issue is this, that he is God's appointed man. And that by doing that, they were dishonoring Elisha. And by doing that, they were dishonoring God. They were not recognizing the authority and the ministry and the position that God had placed him in in the land in order to speak God's word. And they were therefore bringing God's word into disrepute. They were dishonoring the man of God. It was not just Elisha's honor that was at stake here, but God's. And that's why these boys were dealt with severely. And it's a warning to to all of us to be careful how we speak about those in authority. God takes it seriously. Very seriously. What about the fact of cursing? Well... Jesus tells us quite clearly, tells us quite clearly in Luke 6.28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I don't think a curse like this should be the first thing off our tongue when we're dealt with badly by others. In fact, quite the opposite. However, this was a specific case where the honor of God was at stake. There was an incident recently, one of... uh, a young man called Sandeep, who um, some of us know in India, somebody hacked his Facebook account. And um, he started putting on Facebook, I curse the person who did this to me. And I just put a little comment, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. We as Christians should not be ones who are cursing. We as Christians should be bringing blessing, bringing positive, bringing that which uplifts, not that which breaks down. We need to use our words positively to redeem situations. Bless those who curse you. See, there is power in the words we use. There is power in that which comes out of our mouths. We might just think it's a passing comment, but our words have 
power to change situations, to build up and to destroy. Proverbs 11.9 says, With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs 12.18, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You ever been dealt with by somebody like they're thrashing a sword at you? The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.4 A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. We are not to be those who crush other people's spirits, but to bring life. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You can speak life, or you can speak death. You can speak to upbuild, you can speak to destroy. You can speak to encourage, you can speak to discourage. What comes out of your mouth has a power to influence situations and other people. And we are called to speak blessing and not cursing out of our mouth. Turn to James in chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 to 12. Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Thank you. (laughs) For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they'll obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. They're so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder, which wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, The tongue is set among our our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come forth both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives and a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. James is in no doubt here. 
about the fact that many believers don't use their tongue for good. He's talking to the church. He says the tongue is the clearest indicator of what's in our heart. And if we don't constrain our tongue, this is an indicator that we won't constrain other behaviors, negative behaviors in our lives. James says, the uncontrolled tongue, firstly, he says, it's a world of evil. The uncontrolled tongue is a world of evil. It's a whole world full of evil if we don't constrain it. Secondly, he says, an unconstrained tongue corrupts the whole person. He says, that which we speak can defile all that we are. Thirdly, he says, an uncontrolled tongue sets on fire the course of one's life. In other words, the fundamental direction of our lives can be set by the way we use our tongue. And then fourthly, he says, an uncontrolled tongue is set on fire by hell. The word is Gehenna, the same word that Jesus used of judgment. When Jesus actually said, he who calls his brother a fool is worthy of judgment. So in the images, there's a, there's a progression. The first one, the world of evil, points to many evils con- contained within, the prompt, um, within and prompted by the tongue. The second phrase warns that the whole person becomes corrupted by the uncontrolled tongue. The third adds to corruption the picture of destruction and extends it to the whole course of a person's life. And the fourth provides a climax by exposing the tongue's source of evil, hell itself. And it's altogether a devastating denunciation. And then he says, the tongue is impossible to tame. And he uses some pictures. Firstly, he says, it's like a wild forest fire. Now, we've had on the news in recent weeks, years, months, pictures of forest fires, whether in Australia or California, and you see them trying to hose down houses to try and keep it spreading. James says that's what the tongue is like if it's uncontrolled. It sets forth a forest fire. It sets forth a path of destruction that is hard to stop if we don't control it. And he says, do something about it. And then he also uses the next ish image of a wild animal. He says you can tame wild animals, you can take a lion and you can train it, sit Raja, but you can't tame the tongue in the same way unless you deal with it properly. Next he describes it as a restless evil and full of deadly poison. So wild animals, restless evil, deadly poison, the application is the same. How do we deal with it? Discipline. Discipline your tongue. Take control over what you say. Take control over the words that come out of your mouth. Don't let it be like a wild forest fire. Don't let it speak forth that which will destroy. Don't let it speak forth that which will break down. Don't let it speak forth that which will dishonor others. Take control. It's your tongue. No one else's. You can do it. James insists that purity of speech is the sign that one's faith is genuine. And he recognizes that some Christians fail in this. And he's willing to identify himself that he fails in it too. He uses the we 
not just you. He's not pointing fingers. He's saying, this is what we're like. But he says, to accept it, to tolerate it, instead of being horrified by it and repenting of it, this must not be. For we, like springs and plants, produce according to our true nature. The production of good fruit is evidence of genuine faith and therefore of salvation itself. That's what James is saying. And therefore he says to each one of us, purify your speaking or show yourself to be an imposter and therefore under judgment. And he won't let us avoid this issue with excuses or delays. He writes conscious that his readers worship together and then have fights and quarrels amongst each other separate from the meeting or criticize one another behind their backs. How often do Christians come in here and sing pray? I'm not, not just here, into the church, and praise God and then leave the, wor- the worship angry or with criticism about others with whom they've worshipped. James tell us, tells us this must not be. He will not condone participation in worship which is contradicted by a cursing of people. And he would remember Jesus saying, bless those who curse you. See, people violate these instructions by singing praise to God on a Sunday and then complaining and attacking neighbours, co-workers, fellow Christians, employers on Monday. And to the person who speaks praise to God in the worship service and then abuses people verbally at home or at work, James commands, purify your speech through the week. With the person who says, Oh, I know I talk too much and laughs it off. James is not amused. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Someone has said, you've got two ears and one tongue. And that's the proportion that you should be using them in. Listen twice as much as you speak. By the person who boasts, I speak my mind no matter who gets hurt. James is not impressed. He commands Discipline your speaking. Of the person who says, I know I gossip too much, but I just can't help it. James still requires, control your tongue. Of the person who is in the habit of speaking with insults, ridicule or sarcasm, James demands, change your speech habits. And he expects discipline to be happening in the life of a Christian. But any Christian can ask for the grace needed to help overcome in this area. It's about about making good choices in the way we use our tongue and drawing upon the strength of what Jesus has done for us to change our ways. There is then no justification for corrupt habits of speech in our churches today. We must simply repent and walk a different way. See, we can bless... Or we can curse with this one instrument. But if we want to be in the place of blessing, we need to be those who bless in the way we speak about others. We need to rid ourselves of gossip, backbiting, criticism, 
and all forms of negative speech if we're to receive all that God has for us. So we can be like Elisha at Jericho, whose words brought blessing and life to a whole city. Or we can be like, like Elisha with the young boys, whose words brought a curse upon them. It's your choice. But I would encourage you, let the salt water of the Holy Spirit purify the stagnant pool within, that life and goodness might come forth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge of your word. And Lord God, I pray that I, we, might take this seriously. That we might be those who bless and not curse. Who speak positively. Who build up and not break down. And Lord God, who impart life to one another through the power of your Holy Spirit. Let your word dwell amongst us to change and to transform in Jesus' name. Amen.